Have you, ever, have you guys ever played this game? Some of you are looking at me like, what is going on? What is happening? So there's this game, and it's, it's, quite, it's a good icebreaker if you guys are ever in a group setting. And you want to get to know each other pretty well. Slap something random on a card and stick it to each other's forehead. And then you have to walk around and you have to try to figure out what's on your forehead. By asking questions. They have to be yes or no questions. And you, through a process of elimination and trying to figure things out, eventually you're like, oh, I've got it. I've figured out who I am. I've figured out what this is on my forehead. Now, this is unfair because I wrote it down. So, I already know what I wrote down. Um... And there's a there's several games similar to this. Um, how many of you ever had the chance to play uh, that fun game called Guess Who, where you had all the characters that flip up? Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about. And then you'd ask a series of questions because you had a card in front of you, and you'd you'd have to flip down until you identified what the other person's card was, right? And it was all focused around this concept of who am I? And, in fact, the funny thing about that is, is games like that tend to be fun and funny because it's entertaining to try and figure this out. But we tend to play this same game in real life. We tend to walk around our life trying to figure out who everyone else might be and maybe sometimes without acknowledging it, trying to figure out Who am I? What identifies me as me? And we often put ourselves and others into various categories. We might say, we know this person because he is the tire guy. He is my guy I go to when I need to get tires or I need to get them fixed. He's, that's how I know him. I see him in the store and I go, hey, it's the tire guy. Or we might know this person because they lead music. Or we know the person as fill in the blank. All the while, as we put people into these categories, we have to let ourselves ask the question, what category do I tend to put myself in? Who am I? Now, That's really kind of the focus of this series we're going to go through. And by the way, go ahead and open your Bibles, because that's where we're going to look, to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And this is where we're going to be for the next few months, okay? And we're just going to walk through the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, That I'm going to do the book of Ephesians. We're going to walk through the book of Ephesians in 14 weeks. And that's pushing it tight. We could probably spend a full year in the book of Ephesians. But I'm going to condense this down and focus our attention on something that tends to be a perpetual issue. Not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. And that's that question of who are we? Who am I really? And 
who am I, who are we corporately as the church? What does this look like? And that's the question we're going to keep asking throughout our time in Ephesians. And there's many other themes in the book of Ephesians. So I don't want to discredit. This is the the power of the word of God is we can read through the book of Ephesians time and time again. And the truth of God's word speak to us practically and honestly regarding many, many different things. It's the richness of scripture that comes alive. It's living. It's active. That's why we come back to Scripture every week. And so as we unfold this, as we unpack this, I want to encourage you, I actually want to challenge you as a church family, and this is something I've I've started doing, but I'm going to continue to do. I want to challenge you to at least once a week read through the whole book of Ephesians for the next 14 weeks. Okay? So from now all the way to the end of March, that's where we're going to land. I want to challenge you as we're walking through this book to not just come on Sunday and read with us together out of Scripture, but each week to go home, sit down, open your Bibles, and read through this whole book every week. Now the cool thing about Ephesians is there's six chapters. So you can read... One chapter a day, Monday through Saturday, and then come Sunday, and we're going to talk about it together. So, I want to challenge you with that, because if we're just coming, and you're listening to me talk about the book of Ephesians, it's really not practical for you growing on your own for every day past that. And my desire is not that we would come just to hear, but as James said, that we would be doers of the word, not merely hearers of it, okay? The only way we're going to do what God's word says is if we're immersing ourselves in God's word often. And often is not Sunday once a week for 30 minutes. That is not often in comparison to how much we can... Uh, turn on the TV or browse the internet or any of those other aspects. It's easy to do. We just have to set aside time. And it doesn't take long to read six chapters, all right? So a week. If you want to get really ambitious, try to read through the book of Ephesians every day for 14 weeks. Now that's really ambitious, okay? So we're going to say once a week, all right? And as we walk through this, this morning in particular, the big idea I want to pull from this I want us to understand here is that who I am in Christ far exceeds who anyone else sees me to be. Who I am in Christ far exceeds who anyone else sees me to be. Okay? Let's start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read through verse 14 this morning, and we're going to unpack this together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray this morning together. Father, thank you for the freedom to open your word today. I pray that as we encounter this letter to the church of Ephesus, that you would give us an excitement and a desire to grow in this, Lord, as we ask the question, who are we? Who have you called us to be? Not just as individuals, but corporately as the church, that we would unpack these things and take them beyond these walls That we might shine the light of Christ in Canton and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who I am in Christ far exceeds who anyone else sees me to be. That's our big idea. Now, to give us a little introduction to the church of Ephesus, and the reason we have to do this is because it's really important that we understand who this was written to so that we can practically understand how this applies to us. Okay? It's important that we don't read Scripture and go, Oh, Paul is writing specifically to me. No, he's not. God inspired his word that it would be applied and practical for us even today, years and years and years later. But practically here speaking, Paul is writing to a specific people group. And the more we understand about this people group and their location, the more we can understand the depth of Paul's words. And so the church at Ephesus... um, First off, the author, the author of this letter is Paul. The writer of this letter is Paul, which we see in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now this is helpful and important because it establishes credibility from the apostle Paul. And we know previously from his ministry elsewhere, um, if you want to study more about who Paul is and uh, really how he came to be came from Saul to become Paul. Still go home this week, jot down Acts chapter nine, read through Acts chapter nine, and you'll get a picture of his profound God ordained transformation where he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and God powerfully used this man who persecuted the church was a terrible person to bring many to faith in Christ and plant churches all over the place. Okay? Now, Paul is the writer of this epistle or letter, and this is also known as one of the prison epistles. And we can see that if you uh, jot down or if you look at chapter 3, verse 1 of Ephesians, it says, uh, Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, 
on behalf of you Gentiles. Hey, that's chapter 3, verse 1. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says this again, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. Okay? So that's chapter 4, verse 1. And then all the way at the back in chapter 6, verse 20, we see him identify this again where he says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay? So, uh... Paul was in prison. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say he was in prison. Okay, so now we have a location, the circumstance under which Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. But where was Ephesus? Now, if you were to look up Ephesus today, you would find that it was located in what is now western Turkey. And it was, in fact, uh, a port city in Western Asia Minor in the time that this is being written. And that was made, the city of Ephesus was made uh, a capital of that region by Emperor Augustus in 27 BC. Okay? Now, the est- this is where it gets really interesting. The estimated population in Ephesus around the same time is somewhere between 225 to 250,000 people. Okay? So we're not talking about a Canton-sized area. We're talking much bigger, much broader. But to emphasize the power of Paul's ministry, I want you to put your finger in Ephesians and flip back with me to Acts chapter 19. Real briefly here, as we consider the amount of time that Paul spent here, while at the same time... The effectiveness of the gospel in this region that gives us some background towards the city of Ephesus and the church therein. Acts chapter 19 and look at verse 10. Specifically verse 10, Acts chapter 19. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 9, give you some context behind that. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that, get this, this is amazing, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Everyone say, wow. This is incredible. For two years, Paul reasoned with the people in this area. And over those two years, everyone, all the residents in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Talk about a goal, a mission. Imagine the potential, the capability, when the church is so excited about what God has called us to, when we're so passionate about these things, that everyone in that area heard the word of the Lord. Now, flip over briefly to verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 31. Verse 31. 
And this gives us a broader picture. Paul reasoned in that specific place for two years. But in chapter 20, verse 31, it says, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Three years. Okay? Three years Paul spent ministering to the people in Ephesus And that statement in chapter 20, specifically, he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, the Ephesian elders in that place, okay? So, flip on back to Ephesians chapter 1, now that you have some context for the writing of this letter, we have this picture of Paul sitting in prison, penning a letter to these people that he spent three years with. Pouring into, sharing the truth of God's word. And now we have a series of specific identifiers that help to answer the question, who are they? And where we can pull application asking the question, who am I? The first one of these, in Christ, you are blessed. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, this is not the standard meaning for which we use the word blessed. We tend to overuse this word and imply that it means other things that Scripture does not imply. In fact, I would argue that the way that we tend to use the word blessed really should be the word spoiled. Right? We get, we get a, a new car, so we go, oh, I'm so blessed! Or we come away and feel really good about ourselves or where we're at in life, and we go, oh, I'm so blessed! And so then the question that comes out of all that is, does that mean that I'm only blessed if I meet this standard? Or is God's blessing more permanent than this? Because if so, then my definition of this has to be realigned somehow, right? It can't mean spoiled because then what happens when I'm in a season where I'm really low? Does that mean that God's blessing is only poured out when there's abundance? Does it mean that God's blessing is limited based on where I'm at in my life? And yet this text says, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you remember the Beatitudes that we looked at in Matthew chapter 5, that looked blessing looked very differently. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing that we need. In Christ. In Him. In Christ. Those are key words for us to understand the root meaning of this blessing. To be blessed, according to Ephesians 1, this identity factor here comes only through Christ. Through Christ, we're shown mercy. Through Christ, we are given grace. 
look down a little more at verse 6 in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, to the praise of his glorious, what is that word? Grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So what is, according to this, what is God's blessing to us? Call it out. What is it? It's grace. Through who? Call that out. Through Christ. And the incredible thing about that blessing is that these blessings, this blessing through Christ, does not change based on the circumstances of my life. It doesn't change. And so even when I feel like my life is prospering, maybe materially or in my work, I could say I'm blessed by God, not because of that, but because of his sovereign grace given to me through Christ. And when I am down here and I'm in the dumps and I'm feeling discouraged and I don't know where I'm going to get money to pay my bills and what's going on, how am I going to navigate this? I am blessed because of the grace given to me through Christ. And you see, the significance of that for our own personal identity is that when we find that we are blessed and our identity is rooted in Christ, nothing can take that away. Nothing can remove that. And that's exactly why Jesus in Matthew 6 6 said, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where your focus is going to be. And man, some of us get on that train ride and we're up and down and all over the place. And that's life. Life throws that at you. Okay? If you are in that boat right now, you are not alone. But to come back and say, I am blessed in Christ and no one can remove that from me. No circumstance can change that in my life. The next thing, in Him you are chosen. Verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, this, uh, this very phrase is enough to make the most educated theologians chuckle. And the reason for that is because it carries with it centuries of debate. And questioning, and what does this really mean, and what does it look like to be chosen, and God predestined, what is that? Does that mean I don't have to do anything? I am convinced, however, that we get so, we often get so caught up in this debate over terms that we miss the wonder of this truth. Now, I'll say, if you come to my office sometime or you take me out to lunch and want to debate this, I'll love to do that. It's fun. Okay? But there's no guarantee. In fact, I would say there's a promise of that we will not come to a confident assertion and conclusion that will solve this problem because for hundreds of years they've been writing books and debating this. It's, that's going to continue. Okay? And if we get so caught up in that, that we lose the purpose and mission behind why God's called us to what he has, then we're we're steering off course, all right? In fact, 
No one can deny the biblical presence of God's sovereign election. It's there. It's in truth. But also the clear teaching of human responsibility. It's there. Okay? There is scripture text that is there. In fact, even theologian Warren Wiersbe said this about this very concept. The mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility will never be solved in this life. Both are taught in the Bible, both are truth, and both are essential. Now, while we may never fully comprehend the mystery of God's sovereign calling, there are truths from this in which we can rest. And I want us to rest on those today. The first one of those is that salvation begins with God, not with us. Salvation begins with God, not with us. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of works, so that no man can boast. It is a gift of God. Salvation starts with God, not with us. In John chapter 3, we quote this passage. It says, For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. He gave. This starts with him. It started with his plan, his purposes. We, left to our own devices, would not be able to make it. It is only by God's sovereign will for salvation through Christ that we can be saved. In fact, in verse 11 through 12 of Ephesians 1, it says, In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according, get this, according to the purpose of Him who works all things. Everyone say, all things. According to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Salvation begins with God, not with me. That's what it means to be chosen Secondly, if God is the one who does the choosing, get this, then my identity in Him is secure. If God is the one who does the choosing, then my identity in Christ is secure. It's firm. It cannot be moved. Romans chapter 8 emphasizes for us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can change that. And thirdly, if things do not pan out the way that I anticipated they should have, it does not change God's sovereignty. If all of this that I've planned doesn't work out the way I'd anticipate it, it does not change who God is or the fact that He is working what things? All things according to the counsel of His will. Will we ever completely understand how that works? No. Because the reality is, God is God and I am not. But does it change who we are in Christ as promised through Scripture? No. Nothing can change that. If I am in Christ, I am secure. But if I am not in Christ then everything is up in the air. That's why we will continue 
we do and will continue to proclaim that Christ is the only way to eternity. He's the only way to an abundant life because he's the only thing that cannot be removed. In him you are chosen. Thirdly, in him you are forgiven and redeemed. Verse 7, look at that in Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now, to be redeemed means to purchase and set free by paying a price. To be free of all charges is what it means to be redeemed. Now, flip with me briefly to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verses, verse 18 is where we're going to look. 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1. Verse 18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. It was paid. You are redeemed. This makes us free. Free from sin. Free from the power of Satan. Free from any power of this world. And it's only found in Christ. You were ransomed not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb, without spot or blemish. This is significant. If who I am, if I can look at myself and say, I am redeemed, I am paid for, all of a sudden, I don't have to live in bondage to my past. I can walk in freedom to what God has called me to in the future. And just like that, not only redeemed, but forgiven. To be forgiven means to, to carry away, to separate. Have you ever thought about the potential here if we truly recognize this as a part of who I am in Christ? If I recognize that I am not only redeemed, but I'm forgiven... And Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so as far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's incredible. So for those of you who are here and you've been caught up with your identity being stuck in the past, and you're going, man, I've done a lot of things in the past. I don't know, how, how can I be blessed by God's grace? Well, it's through Christ, so it's not something you've done. But in Christ, you're redeemed, you're forgiven. It's behind you. And God's saying, now find your identity in me and then move forward with that as your focus. In John one twenty nine, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're redeemed and forgiven in Christ. Who I am in Christ far exceeds who anyone else sees me to be. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this today? First off, stop trying to define who you are based on who the world sees you to be. As you look around you and people say things to you and you're discouraged by it, remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Now, if you're here today and you don't know who you are in Christ, that's the place you've got to start. <laughs> to say, where am I finding my identity? Because I don't know what this looks like to walk with Jesus. Stop trying to define who you are based on how the world sees you. Secondly, stop trying to mold your identity in Christ into something that it is not. Stop trying to change what it means to be rooted in Jesus into something that is of your own making. God had a plan. He's brought this to fruition. This is His doing. In fact, in verse 13 of Ephesians 1, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And you could add that to the list of who am I? I I am sealed. If I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, I am sealed. No one can remove that seal. And that whole, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I am sealed. But when we try to shape that how we want it to be, and we say, well, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but then you throw this on top of it. No, 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 no. Because whatever you try to throw on top of your identity in Christ has the potential to fall apart. The only thing that is secure is who we are in Christ. Stop trying to define who you are based on how the world sees you. Stop trying to mold your identity in Christ into something that is not. And thirdly, acknowledge who you are and whose you are and live that truth. Acknowledge who you are and whose you are and live that truth truth. Now, one way that we can be reminded of this, that we do once a month, is we come to this table and we practice remembering what Jesus did so that we could be found in him. To where our identity can remain rooted in Christ. It is through God's grace. God's grace given to us through Christ that we come to this table. We remember this. So I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. And as they do, I'm going to read a larger section out of 1 Peter. Where we touched on briefly. As we think about this. 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says, Therefore... 
Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope isn't just here, it's future promises as well. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is written to the church when they were dispersed. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And that was all accomplished through Christ. And so, as we come to this table today and we reflect upon who am I? Who am I in Christ? Who do I say that I am? As opposed to who God says I am. I want that to be what we meditate on as we take the Lord's Supper today. Right? So, let's pray. You're going to be served this and I want to challenge you to reflect upon these truths. Asking the question, Who do I see myself as? And who does God say that I am through Christ? Heavenly Father, as we come to this table, Lord, we're reminded of the grace that you've given us through Jesus. May we not take this for granted. May we not shift or change this hope, this message, this good news. But Lord, that we would remain rooted in who you say that we are and reflect upon your goodness and your faithfulness that has been shown to us through the body and blood of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.